everybody. Hi, y'all. How are y'all doing today? On this bright, lovely, turning windy Monday. Yeah. Right? Last yes. Monday in November. It, when I walked in this office, <laughs> Scott had every light and the mini blinds open. When they're not really mini blinds, but the blinds and... It's it kind of bright day, you it know. It was like I was had just walked into like the sun. Yeah, <laughs> past couple of Mondays have been so dark, dreary, and right. You know, you had trouble getting the room bright enough. So anyway, and most of the week, most of the whole holiday weekend, yeah. you and know, it's supposed it was to be kind a, of rainy. It's and... a chance to rain again tomorrow. Well, well. but hey, it's okay. Hey, Believe me, we got like three and, and a half inches over a couple of days. It could be one hundred and five, and it could be twenty-two. So this is this, this is, is between perfect. those. Yes. <laughs> so Hope anyway, glad everybody's well. here today to resume our journey through First Thessalonians. Mm -hmm. I was watching a little World Cup right before I, while I was eating my sandwich. I usually have lunch like right before class, two o'clock or so. So I was watching a little Portugal versus Uruguay. You know. What are you gonna do tomorrow? The the big game. U.S. and Iran. That's why we have things that record. I know, but you're gonna you know? have to like just. Tell I can do that. I, I can do that. Anything. I'll just avoid any news. Mm. Come home, make a sandwich, sit down, and and watch that match. It'll it'll be quite the. I, I'm glad I'm not haven't been asked to referee that match. Okay. Not that I ever would be, <laughs> but I do not envy the referee of that match. Yeah. That's gonna be a hard match It'll to keep hard. under control. I think. And Scott, he is not just like this big soccer fan, World Cup years. We've got like special channels and everything. Oh, we used to, but now it's because oh, it's kind of spread around okay. more now. And it's available a lot more in all other places. The, all the European games, the so big tournaments, keep up he's with totally it. into it. But tell, him, tell our friends here what it is I particularly like about you know, soccer as no a sport to watch. No commercials. Exactly. <laughs> 45 minutes of uninterrupted action, no commercials, then you get a little halftime, and then another 45 minutes of uninterrupted action. Action without, well, sometimes it's got action, but at least it's no commercials. Do you think you could do the next hour and 10 minutes or so with no commercials? I could, <laughs> I could though. I better be careful. Somebody's gonna to want to talk about what, how, what commercials we could, <laughs> we could run or something. I don't know. I guess you better pray us into I think, it. That uh, I think we're out, we're out of good banner today. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's pray. Gracious Lord, we are so grateful to be here on this Monday, the last Monday in November, in the year 2022. It's. Um, just hard to believe that that this whole online thing really started way back in in April of 2020, and um, we're more than two and a half years into this. But we're grateful for the technology. We're grateful that um, people have wanted to participate in this way as as well as in person, and um, we just pray whether we're here in Dallas or where Josie in Florida or maybe Maybell in Longview that your Holy Spirit will guide us and empower us and strengthen us and encourage us today as we continue to strive to hear Paul well. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Alrighty. I'll Amen. Alrighty. Jump over to the other side. Okay. Get that out of the way. So, yep. Here we are. March 2020 we started all of this and figured out how to go online and end all of that. 
So it's, yeah, it's, it's worked out pretty well, really, I think. Podcasting has. I got a badge from podcast, um, the podcast, the podcast host last week, posting my 300th podcast episode. That's wow. why they call them episodes. We're closing in on 60,000 downloads. So it is surprising. I don't know who, who keeps downloading it, but somebody does. So I think that's great. And um, here we are in First Thessalonians. And um, we are in the second chapter. We came to the 12th, 13th verse last time. So let me just kind of summarize the paragraph before. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, because that's where we're going to start. Um, so the paragraph before is this paragraph where Paul writes to them, just really reminding them about how much he cared for them, cared about them. He uses a metaphor of a nursing mother caring for her children. He uses a metaphor of a kind father caring for his children. Um, that's the way, that's the kind of relationship Paul has with the Thessalonians. So I was reflecting while I was getting ready, you know, to do this and, and preparing for class on, well, why is it that he is so closely bound to the Thessalonians? Why does he feel the way that he does? And we're going to get more of that today. I think it's very genuine. He's not trying to manipulate them or anything like that. It's very, very genuine. And it struck me it is because both he and they suffered for the gospel. They both suffered for Christ. And I think when people are suffering together, it forms bonds between them that are often that are often quite strong um, because of these these deep emotional sometimes traumatic experiences that you that you share. Um, I always remember that reading once uh, an interesting article about the U.S. Marine Corps who did a, a good study, a lengthy study, but, but well put together study after the Second World War to understand how it was that these thousands upon thousands of young men were willing to keep landing on these beaches. I mean, I remember I had a military history professor in college who landed on seven beaches in the Pacific, out of the landing crafts, onto the beaches. How do they do that in the face of what would sometimes be withering fire and just what, what led them to do that? And they found, maybe this won't surprise us, I don't know, it wasn't love of country. It wasn't motherhood and apple pie. It wasn't oh, because they had orders. It was because of the buddy who was next to them. You know, they were a band of brothers, and it was for their brothers, for their buddies, that they that they were willing to to run forward into into such fire. So I think that's. That's that's kind of Paul and the Thessalonians. You know, we we looked at the book of Acts. Paul was chased out of town. The Thessalonian believers had, you know, they had lots and lots of problems with the other people in town. Remember the Thessalonian, um, many of the Jews in Thessalonica were so obsessed with Paul that they chased him down 
to Berea. They went down the road chasing him. They went to the next city down just to just to get after him. So I think I think those kind of experiences create deep bonds, and it's clear that he very much cares for these Thessalonians, and it's part of what makes this really some parts of it such a such a wonderful letter. So look at verse thane. Well, um, verse what? What? Well, what did I say? Verse thane. Verse thane. <laughs> thane, sure. Mrs. Thane. That was the name that of my college, yes. my college French teacher, from whom I learned nothing. Okay, so let let's go at First Thessalonians two verse eleven to just read our way into verse thirteen. Okay. So Paul says, "For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children." encouraging and comforting and urging you to live lives worthy of God. What a great phrase. I know we heard it last week, but wow, we could hear it every day. Live lives worthy of God and don't fall back on the cop out of saying, oh, I could never, I could never, I'm so unworthy. I, he isn't... <laughs> He isn't saying that there isn't work for us all to do, but he's urging them to live lives worthy of God, to live lives worthy of what God has given you. You know, that reminds me of another movie, Saving Private Ryan. Yes. What happens at the end of that movie? You know, that's all movies all about finding this one guy, right? And getting him out of danger. And... Tom Hanks, the captain, is not going to make it out. And he says, basically, live lives worthy. Live a life worthy of the sacrifice that has been made for you. It's the same idea. Same idea, I think. Live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. God does call us. We get this wrong a lot. I hear it all the time. I hear it sometimes in our liturgy, even at St. Andrew. We want to be in charge. We want to name and claim God. God names and claims us. We always have to be reminding ourselves of that. It is God who calls us. We are the lost sheep. The lost sheep can't find the shepherd. The shepherd has to find the lost sheep. You know, maybe the sheep could refuse to be taken back, but the shepherd has to find the sheep, not the reverse. So he says, of God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. And so now verse 13, And we also thank God continually, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe, who faith, who put your trust in Jesus, who trust the truth of the gospel, who strive to live lives of faithfulness. So, there is no New Testament at this time. Um, when Paul refers to the scriptures, all he can be referring to are the Hebrew scriptures. But the Christians, following um, the Jewish roots, I guess I would say, of the whole Jesus movement, also take on 
writings as sacred and inspired as no others are. And one of those, of course, is First Thessalonians, this piece of correspondence. Well, that's all this is. This is a letter, an email, as it were, if it were a different age, a letter from Paul to these Christians, probably not very many in number, in Thessalonica. But they take it on and they treat it as the Word of God, the written Word of God. Not just the Word of God that Paul came and spoke to them, but they take on this letter and other letters and other writings and the, and the Gospels and they come up with this whole set, this whole canon of New Testament scriptures and they see them as being what? The Word of God, the written Word. And, and the glory of a written Word is that it can be copied and passed on to people you will never see. Think of all of the Bibles that Christians have distributed around the world in, in I don't know, I've seen a number like 2,000 different languages or something like that. It's, it, it's, a, it, it's an essential part of, um, of the Christian faith. We rely upon Scripture as, you know, the, 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 um, authority of, of what it is we really proclaim to the world about who God is. And, and we proclaim to the world that this word of God is God's revelation of himself to us. So it's, it's quite a sentence. It would be interesting, wouldn't it, if, the, if this letter, if he just kind of said, well, you know, so long. Because if you ended the letter like right there or at the end of verse 12 or something, the whole th letter would be all just, um, well, kind of like this afternoon. Bright, bright sun, blue skies, good temperatures. Hunky-dory. Hunky-dory. But things are going to change. And they're going to change here in the letter because of the truth about the world we live in. Truth about the world we live in. So let's just hear verse 13 again. It's just, it's one of my favorites. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which was brought to them by Paul, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as a human word, but as it actually is the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe at work, right? So, so the word of God can't, won't be stagnant. It's, it's at work in us, right? In faith, through, for love. I mean, that's, that, that's what it's about. It won't, if you really, if you really open yourself up to scripture, you're going to find that you're going to be different. I really believe that. I think people who really make a career of, of studying scripture the same way you might study any ancient texts and not as believers, I, I just have to believe they have to work at it. They really have to work to hold it at bay, to hold it back, because the Word of God wants to work within us. And it is in work in the Christians in Thessalonica. 
Then he says in verse 14, he says, For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators. Imitators, there's that word again. It is how we learn. It's how we learn so much of what we know. Anybody who's held a job that they got anything out of themselves that they grew in or 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 had a good experience, it's going to be because there were some role models there. I can look back over the course of my life at different role models I had who I remember quite well and I remember things I learned from all of them. And so in this case, the, the Christians in Thessalonica are imitators of whom? Of God's churches in Judea. Do they know anything about these churches? No. no. That's the funny thing, isn't it? These are the Christian these are the Christian house churches back in Judea that are contending in their own land with people who want them who want them gone. So Paul is the one who sees that the Thessalonian Christians are imitators of the Christians back in Judea. Would they have got that from Paul's example? I think Paul would say that he's maybe like a bridge in that. He would really say, um, look at the next four words, which are in Christ Jesus. Okay, yes. And then he's going to explain something more specific about what he means. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. So now there's a fine point on it. How are they imitators? Well, the imitation that he has in mind when he's writing this isn't simply being, you know, better disciples. It is in the suffering that Paul has suffered, that the Thessalonians have suffered, and that the Christians back in Judea have suffered. In, and in Judea, the Christians are suffering at the hands of Jewish opponents. You can bet that almost all of the Christians back in Judea in 50 AD, which is probably about the time this letter was written, that they were all Jews who embraced Jesus as Messiah. The, the world of, the Judean world wasn't filled with Gentiles. There might have been some who have come over, but I, I think that most were probably Jewish believers who embraced Jesus, beginning way back at the, after Jesus' death and resurrection. The events recounted in Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. But they have suffered at the hands of the same Jewish opponents that Paul has suffered from, that Jesus suffered from. Paul, of course, when Paul writes this, he knows that he was one of the big inflictors of suffering. Yeah. He was like a monster tearing through the early church, Luke, Luke writes, on his way to Damascus to round up you know, believers and bring them back to Jerusalem to, to stand trial or whatever. And so here in Thessalonica, Thessalonica, we know that they are suffering at the hands of um, 
some in the Jewish community in Thessalonica. I think that the reason is because the Gentiles, for them it's easy just to, to dismiss all this. There's so much craziness. Um, generally, I think if you look in the book of Acts, the places where Gentiles get involved in opposing Paul is when Paul's message gets in the way of commerce. That's right. Right. Yeah. Whether it is the, the slave girl with the spirit or all the people who made the Diana trinkets in, in August and in Acts like 19 and 20. But for the Jews, they had, they could, I don't think many of them just couldn't dismiss what Paul said. For them, it was blasphemy. Here was this man using their own scriptures, a man who was a Pharisee, a man who had studied under one of the great rabbis of the day who had betrayed them and was embracing this false Messiah. And even worse, even worse, was proclaiming that this Messiah was Lord. And, you know, I, I, I really do understand why Paul attracted so much um, enmity from Jews in these, these cities that he, that he went to. And so for Paul, for the Judean believers, for the Thessalonian believers, it just kind of binds them all together, like I was saying. So this is how the invitation, this is the invitation he's talking about. You suffered from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Not all Jews, it can't be all Jews. Paul's a Jew, right? Many of the Thessalonians are Jewish Christians. Many of the Judeans, probably most, are Jewish Christians. It's the Jews who opposed Jesus. And later on, long at years, some years after this, will try to assassinate Paul in the closing chapters of the book of Acts. And 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 what's to make of um, what's to make of that? So look at verse fifteen, which as I realize is sort of like half a sentence. Okay, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets? Now that's an Old Testament reference. That's going back in time to when the prophets were not well received. Remember, the Old Testament story is largely a story of disappointment because the people didn't 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 hear the prophets well and chased them out or killed them or tried to kill them um, it's like the the parable Jesus told in the closing days of his life on earth when he told a parable about you know uh, uh, vineyard owner who had planted a vineyard and so forth and and had people working it but and the owner um, the people in the vineyard kept killing whoever the owner sent in and those were in the parable the prophets until finally the the landowner the vineyard owner says well gosh okay i'm, I'm going to send in my own son surely they'll listen to him but of course that's jesus and and he is killed. So this is a big 
he's tying together a lot of indictment of Israel, really, which is not just an indictment of Israel. It would be foolish, I think, if we thought that this was only them and never us, never anybody else in this world. Um, and so he says, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out down the road to Berea, if you remember that. They displease God and are hostile, hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. You know, I... Certainly, when Paul is chased out of town, he can't speak to the Gentiles anymore. Usually, what the usual pattern is that Paul will go into the synagogues and preach there for a couple weeks, then get into trouble, and then go over and start preaching to Gentiles. But regardless, the Jews had a, had a large sense of ethnic privilege. This is what happens in Romans 4. Paul says to his fellow Jews, in essence, you know, yes, we have the blood of Abraham in our veins, but that's not it. That's not what this is about. This is about faith. Always has been, is now, always shall be. Those Gentiles, a lot of them do a better job of keeping the law, which boils down to what? Loving others, loving God, he says, than we Jews do. Which is a really, you know, damning indictment, but... There was there was a lot just, just just there was a lot of separation between the Jews and the Gentiles, and you can certainly imagine that many Jewish leaders, synagogue leaders, wanted nothing to do with Gentiles, and not only couldn't they abide this blasphemy that Paul preached, but the fact that he then wanted to go and do this to Gentiles would just—I don't know—it seems to me that it would make their head fly off because they had forgotten what the project was about. What's the project about? God's project. It's God's project that begins in Genesis 12, 3, to reconcile humanity to God, to save us from ourselves, to rescue us, to rescue creation. That's the big project. And it was easy to lose sight of that project. So they displease God and they're hostile to everyone. These are the Jewish leaders in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they might be saved. In this way, which is really trying to shut down God's rescue project, right? In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. And the wrath of God has come upon them at last. Heaped up their sins to the limit? What is that about? 
Is it like we're a, we have a container? <laughs> we have containers in which, in in the Old Testament, what you see as a pattern is that the people, the people are are sinful, and God lets it go for a while. And why? In the hopes that they will repent, right? But they keep right on until finally. Till finally, it's enough. And God steps in, and God's fury is poured out, and his righteous anger. And, of course, even then, it isn't like the end, because there's always a remnant of faithful. Um, even it's a remnant of, of one. But that's the idea. And so if you put yourself in the context in 50 AD, Paul is saying, look, these Jews who rejected Jesus and rejected me and have rejected you now, way long way here up here in Thessalonica, well, they are heaping scorn. Their limits almost been reached and their fury of God is going to come down upon them. And of course, if you know the history here at all, you know that 20 years, 20 years, only 20 years, after Paul writes these words, that Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, um, Jesus is vindicated, um, and all at the hands of the Romans. So, I think Paul, like Jesus, sees what is coming. I, for one, don't think it would have taken a rocket scientist to see what was coming. If you look at the history of the times, um, even as depicted in the book of Acts, but from other things, just Roman history and the history of Judea and the, the um, governors who were there, it's just getting wound tighter and tighter. It's tight, tight, tight in Jesus' day. And then it just keeps getting worse and worse and worse and worse until finally, boom! In the mid-60s, it explodes with a tax revolt and open war and ends with Masada. And I think if Paul, Paul was not alive by then, but if he had been, what would he, how would he have interpreted those events? Well, it's, it would be the wrath of God coming upon his fellow Jews, which... Which really does parallel Jesus. That's why Jesus kept warning people, you know? If you if you refuse to embrace the wave that I'm bringing you, you're going to end up in Gehana, which is this infamous valley on the south side of Jerusalem. A metaphor for a really, really terrible end. And indeed, in the wars of the um, late 60s, thousands of Jews were thrown into that valley dead. The bodies burned down there. So, you know, Paul Paul kind of sees what's coming and he doesn't deal with it here. In Romans 9, 10, and 11, he really deals with what's, what's coming for his fellow Jews and what that means. And with God, repentance is never out of the picture. With God, grace is never out of the picture. God's grace is enormous and massive, 
God's purpose is to rescue people, not to shun them. So, any thoughts, Patty, over there? Anybody got anything online? No, everybody's kind of quiet there. Kind of quiet. The yeah. yard blowers are not out there. Hope they're not too disturbing for people. But there we go. I'm going to have a sip of my coffee here. My, You know what kind of coffee this is, Patty? You do. Um, it's McDonald's coffee. Yeah, it's, it's a McDonald's K-cup. Yes. McDonald's has good good K-cup coffee. And on Amazon, it's a really good price for K-cup. So if you're a K-cup person and you like coffee, you might try it. McDonald's. I guess I'm. I guess I'm running a commercial now, aren't I, honey? You are. See, you actually <laughs> did do a commercial. Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> okay. I couldn't help myself. All right. So, verse seventeen. They're bound together, Paul and the Thessalonians, by the suffering. Um, he knows what they have endured. He knows what he has endured. They're imitators of the believers in Judea. And so he goes on in this vein. He says, but brothers and sisters, when we were orphaned, that is a strong word. When we were orphaned by being separated from you. What he means is when he was chased out of town by the opponents in Thessalonica. He, will, he feels orphaned by that because the man has a very deep bond with these Christians. It's funny, though, that he uses the word orphaned for himself. Yes. Because I don't know. He feels like, he feels like a child ripped away from his mother yes. or something by being chased out of town and away from these people he cares about. Right? Um, so I, I think the interesting thing about the word is the strength of the image. But brothers and sisters, when we are orphaned by being separated from you for a short time, now, in person only, not in thought, they've been into thoughts all this time. It's just that in person he hasn't been there. Out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. We made every effort to see you, for we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again, but Satan blocked our way. Well, isn't that interesting? Okay, we don't know what he did. We don't know what he's been experiencing. We don't know almost all of the questions I might ask here. We don't have the answers to But his re reference to Satan, I think, reminds us that Paul sees himself in this apocalyptic struggle, in this ongoing battle that God is engaged in to finish off the spiritual forces of wickedness. Okay, so it works something like this. Let's, uh, um, let's see. Here we go. Well, maybe not. Wait, here we go. Come on, 
Come on, Scott, hit the right button. Okay, so on the left-hand side of your screen, the beginning of that orange box is the coming of Jesus 2,000 years ago. God's victory over sin and death was won on the cross. But that whole orange box, until Jesus comes back, is filled with the challenges of building for God's kingdom in a world in which the forces of wickedness and evil still exist. That's what the struggle is. So and Paul sees that in a very in a very in a very cosmic sense. So he's not interested. No, I couldn't get quite enough money to come back or we had bad weather or something like this. It's all it it is a cosmic struggle that he is part of um, to carry forward the good news in While in implementing, in imp implementing God's victory over, over sin and death. Now it's kind of a hard concept, you know, to grasp. I I haven't used this one in a while, so I'll trot it out again. One of my favorite old New Testament scholars, who I don't even know if he's still alive, is named Gordon Fee, and he was of my parents' generation. So he talked, he tried to convey some of this by talking about D-Day at the end of World War II. And he said, you know, D-Day was this moment um, when the Allies invaded Europe, they landed on the beaches, and when by the end of the second day they had landed 150,000 or 175,000 troops, the victory was won. But there was still a lot of dying and fighting to be done to make that victory be fully manifest to everybody, fully seen by everybody, to come to full fruition. Um, and that would take, in Europe, another 10 months to get from um, June, until April, June 44 until April of 45. So it's it's kind of like that. And Paul is sees it as this cosmic struggle that he is having, and there is God and the good news, and there is Satan and the forces of evil um, that that oppose him and oppose God's work. Um, I think scholars are quick to tell us to not make Satan too personal an idea, but I I I've, I'm just disagree with that. To to me now, Satan's a Satan's an angel who made who made the wrong choices. I very much embrace a biblical depiction. I may not have it one time in my life, but now it's the best explanation I can find. And if you merely leave evil or Satan as some sort of force, dark force in this world, well, where did that dark force come from? Is it really just a manifestation of our own sin? No, I don't think so. That's, again, putting us at the center of everything. 
And if it's just a dark force like the like the dark force in Star Wars or something, you're stuck with. So did God create that? No, God couldn't have created that. So I, I think the most affirming, sensible way to understand this is that there are spiritual beings who oppose God for their reasons. And we still live in a time when they when they pursue their ends rather than God's ends. So, whatever. You know, I'd like to talk with Paul about it. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan blocked our way. And this big cosmic struggle, you know, and it, for Paul, this would be Hasatan. H-A, maybe hyphen or not, H-A-S-A-T-A-N, which is the accuser, whom you meet most directly in the book of Job. Hasatan is the accuser who comes to, to God and ends up making this wager with God about Job. I, Paul, did again and again, but the accuser blocked our way. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. He says, for what, let's read it again. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. Well, there's been lots written about that verse. I would think so. Because <laughs> it's almost as if these people are the proof of God, of Paul's work. Yes. That he is going to present to God and say, "Look at all the good stuff I did, God. I guess I'm. I guess we're cool, you know." But that directly contradicts Galatians, Ephesians, and about twenty places in Paul's letter. So clearly, he understands that none of us are made right with God by what we do. Ephesians two eight and nine, so that nobody can boast. So what is he talking about? Well. I, you know, of course, what do you think, we Patty? believe he's truly brilliant to, you know, how, what he was able to do. And as you say, type A, 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 and all that. But there are many times to me in Paul's letters, I know that he, when he's talking about coming to faith in Christ, that no one can boast. But he is somebody who boasts about himself, I think, quite a bit. Does he boast about himself or does he boast about his life in Christ? Well, he boasts about, you know, that like we're saying, he was the, the Jew of all Jews in his age. Um, he likes to boast about all the things that he has gone through. Yeah, you're right. Faith. I mean, you know, it's um, he's quite, you know, direct about a lot of this. I think he just, to me, you know how, how, how our faith and stuff is, there's the vertical part of it, putting our faith in God, loving God. Yes. Then there's the horizontal piece on the cross, Yes. our love of others. 
I think he, this the Thessalonians for Paul are just a supreme example of the Christian fellowship that Paul has gone around creating, helping to create, however careful word you want to put it, in his in his travels. Um, and it's like it's like it, it it's like what is it like? It's like something that a kid wants to show off to their parents. Look, isn't this great? It might be, well, look what I did, or it might just be, look, look what I found. Look, 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 look what's happened. And and shows it to the to the loving parent. But it's clear that this guy is really, really fond of the Thessalonians. Yes. yes right? Yes. yes. And they are they are his glory. They are his joy. You know, that word joy, it transcends the circumstances. He was chased out of town, went to Berea, ended up being having to flee from there and go down to Athens. So it's been kind of a tough road ever since he went to Thessalonica. So that joy is not a matter of, you know, all the tremendously good things that are happening to him every day. It comes from his... His being in Christ, these believers being with him in Christ, and the bond that they share together in Christ. For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory? Remember, glory is that social word. Glory is about everybody being able to see in which we will glory, in which everyone will see about what we've been doing in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Am I not going to run up to Jesus and say, oh, look at these people. You will love them. Gosh, you'll love them. They're great. They're just great. You'll love them. Uh, they're my glory and these are these folks are my joy. I don't know. Good question, but I'll tell you, a lot of ink has been spilled on that last verse. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I want to go back just for a quick second yes. back to 18 again, but Satan blocked our way. Do you think that's where possibly the, uh, you know, like the phrase that's used all over today and probably for hundreds of years, us saying like, kind of like the Satan made me do it? I realize he is not saying Satan made him do anything, but don't you? Don't you hear it quite often when people are explaining stuff and they'll say, and I couldn't get it done. Satan just blocked me from doing this. And you kind of think to yourself, hmm, did Satan really make them stop doing this? And you kind of wonder. But I notice on this you have you have no doubt that he he believes that it is actually Satan who, who stopped him from doing I don't see this. any reason to, to read it differently. Um... But how Satan might have blocked this way, I don't know. Yeah. I think the emphasis is on the cosmic struggle. I think, okay, so just as I said a few minutes ago, that we have to be careful 
to remember that we are the lost sheep and that God finds us. Yes. Not vice versa. So easy to 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 flip it around because we want to be in control and in charge and the ones who are doing all of this. So God finds us. God claims us. He, the you have to be careful to not turn it into sort of a flip Wilson Wilson thing. Yes. You know, for those, this is my age again. The devil made me do it. Right. Right. Because I can't find of an instance in the New Testament where the devil makes anybody do anything. The devil doesn't, ha Satan doesn't make Job do anything. Mm -hmm. It's all temptations. Okay. Um, so, I don't know. That's why, well, gosh, Patty, I have a new Windex card now, don't don't I? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right there in that letter, Paul. What did you mean when you said Satan blocked your way? What what was happening? What yes. made you What made you attribute to what was happening that it was Satan who was stopping you? you As know? opposed to like, you know, what you know, running out of gas or money yeah, or, yes, or something yes, yes. like that. Yeah. And maybe it's just simple his, you know, I've often said that one way I live in the world now or try to live is that when good things happen in my life, I, I attribute them to God. And when bad things happen in my life, I'll try to attribute them to myself. I find that works pretty well for most things in life. Maybe for Paul, he's so aware of this cosmic struggle, this so aware of this... Um, his charge to build for the kingdom of God in the face of opposition, that that's just how, that's the filter that everything is run through. You know, so like, like why couldn't we get a ship today? Well, it's not just bad luck, right? I, so I don't know. Good questions. Wish I had more answers. Oh, and by the way, yes. um, Carl Reeves said you should try Black Rifle Coffee. Huh. It's owned by a group of veterans. I've seen them advertise it on TV. Is it available in K-Cups? I am guessing it is. <laughs> okay. I'll <laughs> give it a try. As long, as long as I can buy it on Amazon. And it's not 75 cents a K-Cup. I've, I've seen them do, you know, <laughs> little advertising things on, on Fox News. And um, maybe sometimes they've even had people who are owners of the company. I don't know, but I imagine Carl thinks it's really, really good. Okay. Well, I'll get myself some. Okay. Indeed, you are our glory and joy, Paul writes. All right. So, onward to 1 Thessalonians 3, which is really just a continuation, right? Yes. Because there were no chapter divisions in Paul. It's just a letter. So, it says, so... Remember, he was orphaned from them. That's how much the separation hurt him. He was orphaned from them. So when we could stand it no longer, when I couldn't stand being apart from you any longer at all, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. Okay, Paul. We sent Timothy, who was our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. So, 
since it seems to be Paul, Timothy, and Silas um, are now together in, you know, wherever Paul's writing from, which might well be somewhere right right yeah um, which might be Athens might be Ephesus and he's looking back on an earlier time but he's just relating what happened so when the three of us couldn't stand it anymore well we couldn't all come back but what we did was we sent Timothy how about that we sent Timothy who is our brother and co-worker in God's service. This is the Timothy of First and Second Timothy, right? That, that same person, this young man who joined Paul on his second missionary journey, which he seemed to have met on his first missionary journey. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and co-worker in God's service, in spreading the gospel of Christ. To strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. He's concerned that this young, new group of Christians in these house churches, that they might start being, really being weakened by, by what's been going on, which is, I think, understandable. And he wants to, wants to help them through it. And then he says, about the trials, for you know quite well that we are destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For Paul, suffering trials is part and parcel of the Christian life. And he's not talking about accidents or illness. He's talking about suffering for Christ, being persecuted in, in different ways, but being persecuted because you have embraced the good the good news so i could go back i could go back to this slide see here's the last days so what's happening in the last days the spiritual forces of wickedness as we say in the methodist church are fighting to hang on to their power and who is opposing them god is opposing them paul is opposing them. you and i are opposing them by being christian by worshiping, by proclaiming to the world that there is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and, and the rest of it. And those, those worlds collide. And when those worlds collide, persecution will come out of it. So this is a reminder, I think, for Christians in our age to not expect that when you come to faith in Christ, it's just nothing but victory, roses, and blue skies. Um, 
I don't know about you all, but I think increasingly I feel I feel more separated from the larger culture out there. I can't believe some of the things that happen, some of the things that are being pursued and and, and accepted. Um, and I think if we stay, if one stays true to the good news of Jesus Christ and the scriptural outwork, outworkings of that, I'm likely to feel more that way in the future is my guess and I don't think it I don't think it's just because I'm getting old I think it's because really the culture is changing as Peggy Noonan puts the water that our kids swim in is ever more poisonous and I think there's deep truth to that and so Would I be surprised in my lifetime if there were move, movements to particularly um, focus on Christians and trying to have some control over how we worship or how we use our money or what we say or where we say it about God? I've I wouldn't be surprised. But for Paul, those things, for him, I think in his mind, those kind of things are like inevitable. Right? Yes. That, that, that persecution, if when you come to Christ, you can expect that to lead to problems. Yes. In the sense that there will be people who oppose you and might try in the ways of the world to make your life difficult. Maybe not as far as you're throwing in jail or something, but. Scott, you do have a question here yeah. from Lynn. She uh, actually put this a few minutes ago, right when you were starting this uh, third chapter. So you think Satan targets those who have chosen for God with temptations? Yes. I would, yes, I think Satan targets those who are in, who have chosen for God. Because what is the struggle? The struggle is between God and these Satan or these spiritual forces of wickedness. Now, Satan's already lost, but there's still, like I said, this long campaign of implementing that i struggle with for words here but if you go back to that chart that 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 that's kind of i think how it has to be so who would you expect then to be satan's targets who is targeted the most by satan in the new testament jesus yeah sure because Jesus is at the heart of the rescue plan. So, yeah, I guess, Lynn, I do think that. You know, I. it's easy to go overboard one way or another on this business about Satan. 
and it's easy to make everything about Satan and, you know, demonic possessions, and it appeals to a certain mindset, I guess. So we have to be cautious about that, but to But to not see Satan at work in this world, I think is, you have to, for me now, at this point in my life, I have to exert a certain, I would have to exert a certain amount of blindness to do that. Exactly how that works out, I don't know. I don't know. All I know is that God created everything and God created, God created it good. And most of what goes wrong in this world comes out of the human heart. But I don't know that explains it all. I don't know that that explains it all. So, I don't know. Interesting questions. Okay. So, you have any thoughts on that, Patty? No. <laughs> no. No. See, I'll just expand. See, okay, so like in preparation for this, I was reading some of N.T. Wright's comments on this section, including on the Satan part. And he says, well, you know, Satan, maybe we don't actually get as far as personal. And so it's left as a force. And I'm going, well, wait, if you leave it as just a force, F-O-R-C-E, where did the, what's the origin of that force? Where did the force come from? Everything comes from somewhere. I think you're pretty much left with it lying on God's doorstep. As something that God created. Unless you think, right? So, uh, that, that's why I think the Methodists have this set of words that we use in the baptismal questions. The spiritual forces of wickedness. You know, I will go with that and I see that as being more personal than I did in my life 30 or 40 years ago in terms of my understanding of that. So, anyone? Well, I guess what's just coming to mind to me is what, what they have already done is taken God out of schools. That's been done for a while. And it just seems like once that happened, that opens the door for other things to be brought in which I think may have a lot of people disagree, or I don't know, but we're bringing in other stuff into schools that don't belong there, in my opinion. Or just, or just, maybe and where just, God used to be. Just into lives. Yes. You know. Yes. It, it the, it's the decline in church attendance. It's the decline in religious religious belief of any kind. Yeah. That you're just kind of left well. Nothing, <laughs> nothing. So, so I, I, yeah, it's 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 difficult, and um, I think that the growing loss of confidence. Thanks, Maybell. <laughs> in in Jesus's resurrection, is just. I just think it lies it lies at the bottom of, of so much of this. 
But okay. Was it was it um, Saint Augustine who said we all have a, a God-shaped vacuum? Hole in our heart, yes, and we go around stuffing with things, trying to fill it up. Yes, but it's only shape. Who is it shaped for? It's, it's shaped only for God. Shaped for God. So if you don't put God in there, you you're not going to fill it with right. other stuff. Right. So for me, I'll just look empirically at the world around, and I'm, it's, okay. I just don't, I just don't get a lot of it. Okay. But I want to avoid ranting. So there we go. <laughs> Verse 4. He says, in fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. Right? He has to send somebody. There's no other way to do it. He's got no phones, got no email. Can you imagine, Patty? No. <laughs> we want instantaneous we knowledge now. Right now. Right. Hey, Robbie, did you make it to Houston? Boom, boom, pick up the phone. No. Call him. In fact, why haven't you called me to tell me you made it to Houston? Oh, oh. everyone's going to know how bad I am. <laughs> <laughs> For this reason, when I couldn't stand it any longer, I sent to find out about your faith. And I was afraid that in some way the tempter, who's the tempter? Satan. Satan had tempted you and that our labors might have been in vain. You know, these early house churches, they were fragile fragile of course they were and you, you know you could tell by this letter that it's it's been a while because of as as he was just saying how he tried and tried and tried so these folks could have possibly thought that he just gave up on them and that was it you know right because like you said there is you know there's no fast way to get a message to somebody and if they if if just sort of observing it they start falling away and thinking about kind of crazy ideas like the Galatians. Read the first two chapters in Galatians after we finish here. How would Paul see that? Well, that's not what's happening is, you know, the tempter, Satan is breaking this place up in this apocalyptic clash of Satan who's who's already lost, but is still is still is still fighting anyway kind of like you know a cornered animal who's cornered it's going to end up in the trap but it won't go there peacefully so i see we have a comment carl asks if there is a devil then how does that affect monotheism from the christian perspective well carl the biblical perspective is that there is a class of spiritual beings they are creatures. They are not human. They are not divine. Some or most have chosen for God. And they work to further God's purposes such as the angel Gabriel or the archangel Michael or the angel of the Lord who meets Moses at the burning bush. But within that group of spiritual beings, there are some who have used their free will 
and have chosen against God. Against God. And the leader of that pack is Satan. I think it's fair to say that is how Christians have generally interpreted the New, the New Testament. And Satan is certainly much more of a personal being in the New Testament than Ha-Satan is in the Old Testament. And I always think back to this place, maybe, I call, I wish I could tell exactly where, maybe Mark 5, it's in Mark's Gospel, early in Mark's Gospel, um, there's a man who is possessed by what? Demons. And the demons know who Jesus is. It isn't like they oppose God or Jesus out of their ignorance. It's a willful opposition. They know who Jesus is and they still oppose him. That's, that's this idea that people try to capture, I think, when we talk about Satan or the demons. Is they are... They are creatures whom God made as God made us, though they're not human, and some of them have made the terrible choice of working against God's purposes. And I've, I now, the more I read the Bible, the more, this happened to me 10 years ago, I came to the realization that it was kind of cheating if I said, oh, I believe in angels, but I don't believe in demons. That's, that's just cheating. That's just cheating. I oh, I believe in, in angels who have who have names and are persons and whatever and wi a will and all that kind of stuff. But but not in demons. I don't believe in demons. Well, in the biblical view, that's just cheating. That, that's just because they are part of a class of spiritual beings created by God, exercising a free will. So why would God give them free will? Why would God give? Why does God give us free will? so that we can love God. Everybody wants to be loved with a love that comes from a freely given, giving heart. That's what love, that freedom is part and parcel of what love genuinely is. Everybody knows it. Nobody wants to be married for their money or for their good looks or for anything other than they want to be loved from a heart that, that freely gives that love. Everybody wants that. God wants that because that's what love is. Because that's what love is. And so the demons, though, have chosen against God. Just as there are people in our world who choose against God. And they're not just ignorant. They're not just ignorant. They're not ignorant. They knowledgeably choose against God. So, in any event, okay, well, maybe, Carl, that was a little helpful, and we're going to end it there, because when we come back in verse 6, we have Timothy's report. He compiled a report, PowerPoint, everything, and brought it back to Paul. Man, sometimes we get into really difficult little pieces of stuff here, don't we? Just, just being, just kind of quietly riding along, reading this letter, and...
but as then you said, boom. This is this is a place you could do it. Yeah, just a place we'd all do it together. Here we are. I'm here, actually. <laughs> you are here. I know, but and if we're I, so. I know we have to have to. Turn the cameraman we had to have. Yeah, oh yes, have to give him a chance to catch the up. The lighting right? people haven't come in to yeah. do a touch up on my face. No, yet, yes, though. he had brightness <laughs> coming in over there. Oh well. They all know how, how, how uh, oh, cute you yeah, are, honey. Yeah, yeah. Well, everybody, thank you so much for being here with us today. Um, you know, tomorrow there's another class at 12 o'clock downstairs in Pierre Hall. Yes, there is. Yes. And what's the name of that class? First Corinthians. Corinthians. And we're almost right at the end. We are. We really are. We're getting super, super close to it. And then we're going to be starting a new book. Samuel. At the first of the year. So I'm going to have to come up with something for a week or two there yeah, in the we'll middle. I'm not sure what that's going to do. Yeah, what be some, we'll talk about it. Okay. Some little Christmassy thing maybe that you've done many years ago. Yeah. We'll do something because, down there. Yeah. You fun. have a lot of that kind of fun stuff to, you got to do. It. And it will be during the holidays. Exactly. So, so. anyway, y'all, um, hope everybody has a great rest of the day. Okay. Very good. And hopefully maybe we'll see you tomorrow. If not, maybe Sunday or next Monday. Any of those would work. Um, would you mind closing with me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much, God, that we, we do still have this opportunity to read the Bible and discuss the Bible and talk about scriptures and answer and ask questions uh, we may not ever really know the answer to. They may all be on those index cards one day, God, that we're, that we're putting before you. But we pray, God, that you would um, continue to... Um, continue to bless this country where we still have those freedoms now lord we are as i said we are seeing things change before our eyes these days and we just pray that we would always have this freedom of religion that we have right now lord we pray god that you would watch over this group hold us close together we pray god for all of our families and our friends um praying for my friend susan out there who will be traveling later this week and some other folks that she'll be traveling with for a safe, safe, safe trip. And Lord, we just ask you to keep us close to you. We love you. We pray God for your guidance and your mercy. All this we lift up to you today and we pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Okay. Adios, everybody. Bye guys. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Uh-oh, we can't turn off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no.